Welcome. My name is Nathan Illman, and this is Beneath the Armour podcast, the place where healthcare professionals talk about what it's like to be them in this challenging field, and a place where listeners can come to feel connection through shared experience. Hey everybody, Nathan here. Welcome to episode number eight of BTA podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this episode. It's been a little bit of a gap since my last one, but here I am finally back with a great episode with Dr. Caroline Walker. So this podcast is all about trying to get vulnerable and beneath the armour of that kind of exterior that we put on sometimes at work, in healthcare, and trying to explore what that's all about and hear people's real kind of raw stories of what it's actually like to work in healthcare. And this conversation is just so wonderful at kind of exposing that and providing a truthful, honest account of someone's struggles with mental health. So if you don't know who I am, I'm a clinical psychologist and coach and I work in Melbourne. Uh, obviously, you can t- probably tell that I'm from the UK originally. And as well as working with people with psychological difficulties, I run a business providing coaching and training to healthcare staff, particularly doctors and nurses, helping them overcome burnout and stress and really reconnect with their purpose in life through work on values, clarification, and helping them learn skills to overcome some of those challenging thoughts and feelings that we all experience from time to time. So my conversation with Caroline today was particularly um, exciting and just energetic and just so wonderful for me because we both are doing the same things with our lives essentially. So Caroline's background is different to mine in that she studied and trained to be a doctor and then a psychiatrist but realised actually that this wasn't really what she wanted to do and her purpose was really all about helping other doctors and helping professionals to overcome the struggles and, and difficulties that that some of us all go through, but you know, doctors in particular are faced with lots of challenges in the work that they do. So Caroline and I get into um, her story about how this came about, some of her struggles in mental health and how she's worked on those and her recovery o- over time and how that's informed the work that she currently does with people. It is such a wonderful, vulnerable conversation, really the kind of thing that um, I'm all about we have a back and forth about our own experiences and I think this would be really helpful for other people to hear because, you know, it's just so important to hear that it's not just you going through struggles. Um, so yeah, hearing other people's journey, other people's story can be really, really helpful. So I'm not going to go into too much more detail. I'm going to leave you to hear Caroline's journey and, and what she's all about and the work that she does. And just before I leave you with that, I just want to tell you about something really quickly. So I've recently created a free Facebook group called Overcoming Self-Doubt for Doctors. So this is a group where each week I provide resources, so written posts, some little videos that I make, some meditations, some guided imagery exercises and worksheets and things that are all designed for, as you can tell in the name, for doctors. And this is really about helping overcome that niggling voice inside your head that might be telling you you're not good enough, you're not good enough to be a doctor, or it might be you're not good enough as a parent or other roles and parts of your life. And to help with perfectionism, which can be pretty pervasive in, in medicine and, and other areas of healthcare as well, uh, and thinking about the impact that's having on you and providing some tools and te- techniques to help kind of work with that. And also imposter syndrome, you know, this this phenomenon which most people have heard of these days and it's very common. So helping with some general skills, tips, techniques and just general validation and normalisation of the, the struggles that you're going through. So if that sounds of interest to you, feel free to join up for the group. You can go over to my website at www.nathanillman.com. So that's N-A-T-H-A-N, Nathan Illman, I-L-L-M-A-N.com. And you'll find a link on my webpage to sign up and join that free Facebook group. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now and I'm going to uh, leave you with this great conversation with Dr. Caroline Walker, owner of The Joyful Doctor. So Caroline, thanks for coming on Beneath the Armour. How are you doing today? Oh, do you know, today is actually a pretty good day. Yeah, 
yeah I'm still I'm finding at the moment days some days are good some days are bad like a lot of people out there I think but today is an okay day so far I mean it's early here in the UK it's yeah eight but yeah <laughs> what's what's made your morning a good day so far what have you been doing Oh, I've just been enjoying my son, actually. He's at a really lovely age at the moment. He's eight, um, you know, so he's just full of magic and curiosity. And, and when I told him I was going to be interviewed by somebody in Australia, he said, oh, do you have to speak the language that they speak there in Australia? <laughs> I was like, yeah, but luckily for me, it's English. So, you know, it will be okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I've only been here for two years, so there may be some um, slight change in my accent, but I think most people probably hear a British accent as well. (laughs) I was over there for a year or two, actually. Um, Just after my first year as a junior doctor, I spent a couple of years out living on the Sunshine Coast. And uh, yeah, I started to do that thing where you um, go up at the end of your sentences. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like that. And um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, people thought it was quite funny. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, a great place to start, really, Caroline, would be if you could just talk through about, you know, when you were younger, I know that you had this dream of becoming a doctor and you have this incredible story of, you know, how how you sort of proceeded with that journey and then things changed for you and there were some hardships and that sort of thing. So, yeah, if you could just talk through, um, talk through that and I guess where you're at now and what you're doing with your business and just give us a bit of a rundown of everything, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I wanted to be a doctor from a very, very young age. So um, about five and three quarters. uh, My mum actually wrote down a little quote from me, Caroline, five and three quarters. I said, "Um, mummy, I really want to be a doctor, uh, but I can't because I'm, I'm a woman. So I'll have to be a nurse. Um, and luckily she was like this sort of kind of shoulder padded woman of the 80s who was just like no I'm not having that you know you can do whatever you like so from that point forward I was on the conveyor belt you know I was a really quite a bright child and did really well at school and and every time I said to someone I wanted to be a doctor it seemed to get this really good reaction you know people are like oh that's amazing what a great thing to do so mm. so that was it you know I was sold and And then, you know, off I went to medical school, which, you know, a lot of good times, some not so good times, but out I popped at 24 onto the wards. And actually, you know, it was just, well, just pretty awful, actually. It wasn't, it really wasn't what I was expecting. Um, It was quite brutal. I was, within weeks, I was absolutely broken. You know, I was shattered. I was doing 100-hour weeks. Um, I was really anxious everywhere I looked like everyone else seemed to know what they were doing and and I really didn't and I felt like such an imposter and and I was just really scared you know that I was going to be killing people and and you know just doing nothing really but working and then sleeping and when I was sleeping I was dreaming about work and it was just you know awful Um, and I remember um, one day I was sitting there like looking up blood results before it was all kind of done electronically for you you had to kind of write them all into the notes and and I was doing that and um up in front of me popped this um registrar sort of like a sort of quite senior doctor but not yet the the top dog um from cardiology so a heart specialist and he just um he just said to me quite innocently he said oh how are you doing and without thinking I just looked at him and went oh I'm thinking of resigning thanks how are you um and then there was this moment you know like a really awful pregnant pause of like oh my god what's just happened this you know obviously something's not right here but what do we do about it and we were both quite British and we didn't really want to you know do the whole feelings thing um so we just sort of laughed it off and he went on his way and then later that day he came up to me um I was on the wardrobe and he came up to me and he handed me this little pink piece of paper which was a a cardiology request form so it's the one you use to kind of ask for an investigation on the heart and so it's a bit weird him asking me to do something with the heart but anyway he said you know don't read this now he just handed it to me he said read it later and okay I popped it in my pocket and when I got home that evening I got it out and I read it and it was to this day one of the most amazingly compassionate wonderful letters that anybody has ever given to me it was He was simply saying, you know, I noticed something, you know, might be wrong. And at the risk of embarrassing myself, I just wanted to reach out and just say, it's okay, you know, that being a doctor is really, really hard. And it's okay to be struggling. It's okay to get support. Um, 
And at the bottom of that letter, there was a PS. And I'll always remember this. It said, you know, his background in 1999, um, a good friend of mine, a GP, a family doctor, uh, killed himself, leaving behind his wife and three children. And nobody Gosh. even knew that he was struggling. Mm. Yeah. And that was, for me, that was the point at which I thought, okay, yeah, doctors really do struggle. Healthcare professionals really do struggle. We really kind of put on a front of being mm. okay and coping. Like, nobody would have known I was struggling, you know. Um but all it took was that other human being, that guy that day, just to notice and just to be brave enough to say, are you all right? Is it, you know, come and have a cup of tea. Let's have yeah. a chat. Yeah, just a simple moment of human compassion and kindness. Yeah, it was enough to reach me in one of my darkest times. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, not, not everyone. I mean, it doesn't happen that often, does it? Especially when we're all putting on this. Uh, you know this yeah this armor we're putting on a brave face everyone everyone is going around thinking oh yeah they're okay yep they're okay well I need to be okay then (laughs) yeah yeah and actually the reality is most of us aren't most of us are actually struggling with something right especially Mm. at the moment my goodness with COVID and everything going on like even more so than usual but yeah, typically most people have got some sort of worry or stress or something going on in their life that's, you know, not quite right or that's bothering them. Or um, And I found it really powerful with working with doctors in the last sort of few years that just doing a simple check-in with somebody and mm-hmm. allowing them just to share, like, what might be going on for them just for a minute is so helpful because actually if you, rather than that whole, you know, how are you? And they go, oh, fine, thanks. Yeah. You know, just brush it off. If you go, well, how are you really? Or let's just take a minute, tell me what's going on, you know, in your life. Actually, usually a lot of stuff will come out, you know. Like, yeah, oh, definitely. About this. We have, it's very scripted, isn't it? That response, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah I'm okay, fine. thanks. Yeah. And I was wary when you asked me today, you know, how are you today, Caroline? And I, I said, oh yeah, good day today. Um, but I really wanted to qualify it, you know, because actually that isn't the case. That isn't always the case, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I'm somebody that struggled with my mental health a lot of the years and mornings actually quite hard for me. So, you know, quite often mornings I can feel a little bit, you know, actually today's feeling a bit of a struggle. Um, And that might, you know, that might get better throughout the day or it might not. If I'm in a period where I'm, you know, suffering with depression or then it might not be okay. It might not be fine. (laughs) Right. And as, would it be okay to sort of dive a bit deeper into that, Caroline? So I know when when you're in your 20s, like you said, so you're 24 at this stage, just things are not really turning out as you expected them to when you're a doctor and you're working these 100-hour weeks. And so with your, in terms of your mental health, did it, was it, was that the kind of trigger for it deteriorating? And is it right to just talk a bit about the course cool. of that? Yeah, no, I'm really, really happy to talk about my struggles with mental health because I think it's so important that mm. other healthcare professionals hear other healthcare professionals talking about struggling. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, so for me, I think looking back, I'd already probably struggled with my mental health before that point. Um, mm. I just hadn't quite sort of named it or realised it or it hadn't yet got to the a really severe point that kind of cause me any particular difficulties uh, I might just feel a bit low for a bit or be a bit bit hyperactive for a, for a short while and get things done um, but yeah that was probably one of the first times that it really uh, it really kind of floored me so but you know what the crazy thing is I just took one week off work like that was it and looking back I just think oh my gosh like really I wish I wish I had just given myself that a little bit longer you know, to fully, fully get better. But of course, I was, you know, one of those really dedicated um, healthcare professionals that really, you know, was thinking about everybody else. I was thinking, I just want to get back to work. I just want to help. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want my team to be struggling with carrying the workload without me. And and I hear that so much from healthcare professionals now, you know, that that idea that, oh, no, I can't possibly take time off because, you know, what about my colleagues? How's that going to affect them? Yeah. 
Um, so I think it was one of the first. It certainly wasn't the last. I've had, um, I think today, about 13 episodes of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, when my son was born in my 30s, I had some episodes of high mood where I was like really full of energy, really overly optimistic, uh, not thinking very clearly at all, really quite unwell, actually, but, but the other way um, with high mood. So I was re-diagnosed at that point uh, with bipolar disorder. So that's one of my mental health problems. Um, but like about 40% of people with mental health problems, we I have more than one. Um, so it's very, very common to have, you know, more than one thing going on. And so I um, I have the bipolar and I'm also an, an addict in recovery. So I'm coming up to um, six years now sober from drugs and, uh, and alcohol and uh, cigarettes. So yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm incredibly proud of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what an achievement. Yeah, it was a big turning point for me too. Yeah, you know, getting sober and and living living life without that crutch, you know. It was really, really hard at first, but uh, it does get easier. Yeah, and so so with the the use of alcohol and uh, cigarettes and, you know, I suppose substances in general, was that something that... um, you you developed that kind of behavior to to deal with some of the, you know, the stuff that was going on for you at the time when you were when you were a doctor and what do you think training? there from a very early age for me you know from yeah. my first drink I, I sort of for teenage years sort of you know with my friends sneaking a bit of cider or something uh on a night out mm-hmm. I um I drank alcoholically even then you know I, I kind of always wanted more I wanted to feel out of it I didn't want to just enjoy you know the taste of it or being a little bit scruffy I really wanted to feel different and for me it was from a very early age a kind of a way to escape and to feel better about myself Um, you know I didn't realize it but I had very very low self-esteem I really didn't like myself very much didn't think I fitted in and then actually when I drank I kind of felt temporarily a release from that Um, and I think part of going into medicine if I'm really honest was this idea that I identified with the hard hard working but hard playing doctor you know um, that uh, you know people joke a lot don't they about how much doctors drink and for me it was like yeah okay that's my tribe that's who I you know that's where I'm gonna go and feel I belong um but of course I got to medical school and and yes there were a few of us that that drank you know too much and were alcoholic but actually most people weren't most people were kind of healthy with it um but my drinking was different you know it was it was full of shame full of regret you know the next day it was full of um just too much and always being the first one there and the last one to leave that kind of feeling you know um, and lots of harmful consequences, lots of putting myself in risky situations that I would never do in in normal life, you know, um, in, in sober life anyway. So, yeah, so I think for me it wasn't so much about what I drank or how much I drank so much as why, yeah, and how it, it I thought it was helping me, you know. Yeah, that's right. I, I guess to begin with, these these sorts of, health behaviors or things that can you know they turn unhelpful to begin with they might be quite innocent might they um yeah yeah i mean i've actually so i've given up alcohol as well um and i gave up at the beginning of this year so what we september nine months it's been now um one of the best decisions tough point i find i don't know how you're finding the nine month period but eight nine months i hear a lot of alcohol or people who give up alcohol say that it's really hard at that stage yeah it's been to be honest it's been um it's got easier actually being in covid you know it's all about context and timing isn't it i think i gave up before covid hit and um it was quite difficult to begin with but then i kind of got used to it i I didn't really have lots of alcohol cues or triggers around me because my wife doesn't drink really at all and i wasn't really i wasn't allowed to go out to like pubs and bars and that sort of thing so it that made it easier but um yeah i found for me sorry go on sorry no no well i was just gonna say i found the opposite actually interestingly because i I very rarely think about having a drink nowadays but when covid hit when those first few weeks when it was really really stressful and everyone was quite anxious and we didn't really know what was coming and a lot of people started to pick up a bit more drink didn't they you heard a lot of people just saying oh i'm having an extra glass of wine at night or a gnt or whatever And, and i actually envied them a little bit if i'm honest because i felt 
Yeah, this is tough. And it would be nice to have a little something just to kind of help me through it a little bit. And But obviously I've learned that for me, that that one drink might be one today, but it won't be one tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. And it will bring that horrible feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I agree with you about, you know, there's there's these kind of hidden emotions which which can be associated with these things. And I think for me, I was... I mean, I, I wasn't drinking heavily every day or anything, but I just, I realized over time that I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol um, and, you know, realized that probably like a lot of the negative emotion that was in my life was kind of associated with that behavior. Um, so it just took a while to kind of realize that and actually acknowledge it and to sort of say to myself, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, yeah. Well, unless you're kind of, I still think people have these myths, don't they? That, you know, to have a problem with alcohol, you've got to be lying on a park bench, homeless, drinking out of a brown paper bag at the first thing in the morning. And it just isn't like that, actually. For most people, it's just like you described. It's a slow, gentle awareness of just, you know what? This kind of isn't helping me or this is causing me some problems or, you know. And actually, I'm, maybe it would be a bit easier without it. So. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give to, you know, perhaps other doctors or healthcare professionals who are, who are, you know, probably, I suppose some of them struggling with this kind of thing? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is be kind to ourselves because our natural instinct is to totally beat ourselves up, isn't it? It's just mm. to be like, oh my God, I'm a failure or to feel that shame or that. And actually just to be kind to yourself and just think, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. Actually, we're all just doing the best we can, aren't we, mm. in life? Um, and then to speak with someone, like anybody, just somebody you trust. You know, it doesn't have to be a healthcare professional, but it could be just a friend or um, or Google it, you know, whatever feels right for you. But just reach out and just start listening to other people who might be having similar thoughts, you know, about their drinking or whatever behaviour it is. And I think it's important to remember with addiction, it doesn't, it's not just things like drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. It's all those other behaviours as well, you know, like we're seeing a lot of people at the moment struggling since lockdown with um, online gaming addictions or gambling or, you know, it's all those other behaviours as well. So if there's anything like that that you're just thinking, oh, I don't really like where that's going or how that's leaving me feeling just start gently talking to people you know listen to podcasts like this one you know it will help you to just realize you're not alone there mm-hmm. is you know is there are options out there you don't have to wait until you're you know on that park bench to do something about it actually you know I'm, I feel very lucky I got off the train a bit earlier than most you know I still have my job and just about you know my relationships intact um but uh, yeah you can get help earlier and I think that's one of the lovely things about the world we're living in at the moment is more and more people sharing you know ways that they can get through it so just put your feelers out there realize you're not alone and find the way that works for you yeah it's that kind of initial reaching out isn't it that can be quite difficult I think once you yeah. once that happens or like you you know your experience that you t- talked about before when someone actually reaches out to you and you realize yeah. that there are people who are out there who are compassionate and yeah. you get the ball rolling with it it can be a lot easier can't it absolutely I honestly that first hurdle is the hardest one to get over definitely um and then I think for me I just it was just gentle persistence I just kept kind of I went to a support group for people who wanted to stop drinking and and I just sat there you know for a few months week after week just listening just thinking just mm. wondering I was still having your drink at that point you know because I didn't want to be um, an alcoholic I didn't want to have a problem with alcohol I wanted to be able to have a drink mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't stand the idea of not having a drink for the rest of my life it's absolutely horrifying <laughs> uh, and actually what helped me was to not make it about the rest of my life, actually. I just made it about that day. Okay, I'm not going to have a drink today. You know, I'll, I'll decide tomorrow what I do tomorrow. But today I'm not going to have a drink. And, and maybe this week I won't have a drink, you know. And, and now, I, I, as I say, I, don't, I rarely think about it. But I do miss it sometimes because I think we, we all, you know, human life is quite difficult, you know. And we, we have a, a lot of feelings. Um, and I think we have to learn yeah. ways to manage those feelings in healthier ways. Definitely. Um, Caroline, something I'd like to get into actually is, so uh, am I right in thinking, you, so you specialised in psychiatry, you trained as a psychiatrist later on in your career? 
I did, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. early on. So actually, my first psychiatry job was in Australia. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I loved it. I loved the idea that we could spend time with people and you could really explore their whole lives and their whole, what was important to them. And they weren't just like a broken bone or a, you know, a broken heart or a, they were just this whole person, yeah. And um, when you uh, when you started doing that training, how long did you work as a psychiatrist for before you left to do what you're doing now? So I had a bit of a, a wonky career path. So I did psychiatry for a few years. And then I really, again, I struggled with my mental health again. I had a tragedy in my family when my brother lost a baby and... And I'd just been depressed and it was really full on and I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So I actually took a career break quite early on uh, for nearly two years and I did some other things. I, I set up a business as a declutterer. So I used to help people get oh. organized and decluttered. And, and that's when I first came across coaching as well. I learned a bit about coaching and started coaching people mm -hmm. um, and did some other things, some creative things as well, like making um, paper cards, cards, things like that. Um, so I did a few different things for a couple of years, but I really missed medicine. I really wanted to, to go back. So for a while, I went back and did both. So I was a part-time psychiatrist, part-time declutterer, actually quite wow. similar in some ways. Yeah, they're sort of helping people get through different phases of their life um, and to declutter their sort of minds and their environments. Um, and then um, I then trained in my higher training a few years ago now, um, uh, wanted to specialize in talking therapies. So um, something that's like medical psychotherapy, that's what it's called over here when a doctor specializes in talking therapy. But essentially I learned all about talking therapies. And at that point I was really, really starting to um, develop my interest in helping other doctors and healthcare professionals, uh, giving myself permission for that. Cause I knew that was my passion, you know, even from those early days of me struggling, I was drawn to, um, understanding why you know as healthcare professionals we really struggle and struggle to get help and I really wanted to help other people that had struggled like I had so I just started seeing more and more doctors as patients and everything I did I'd do sort of in that area and and then I just sort of a couple of years ago now about three years ago I started to get this kind of nudges from the universe I would call them just to say you know come on Caroline time you sort of you know got out there and did this full time that you made this your thing um so I took another career break um and uh set up the organization that I now run which is called the joyful doctor um and we um specialize in supporting healthcare professionals with their well-being so everything we do is to help yeah doctors and other healthcare professionals um to feel better to look after themselves for a change you know rather than um other people um, and so I've been doing that. I took a career break, but actually I, once I started doing that, I knew that was my my thing and I was going to stay doing that. So um, I actually resigned at that point. So for the last three years, I've been yeah, full time kind of helping yeah, doctors and healthcare professionals. And I absolutely love it. It's <laughs> dream come true. Yeah, that's fantastic. Do you know, there's so many similarities between our sort of journeys because then I also took a career break about two years ago before I moved, well, in between moving to Australia. It wasn't quite as long as yours, and I, I didn't dabble in, in things like you did, but um, it was for how long, maybe two months, two and a half months or something. Um, and, you know, at the time that felt really scary to do that, and it felt like something that other people didn't do. Um, yeah. And well, I was very much, I didn't know you could do it at all, actually. Yeah. I was just really lucky that I, I actually thought I'm going to have to resign here. I thought I can't do medicine anymore. I'm absolutely broken. I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to resign. So I went into work and I talked to a really supportive colleague and said, you know, I'm thinking of resigning. And she actually planted the seed of the idea in my head. She said, don't do that. Don't keep your options open. You know, don't decide this while you're feeling rubbish. You know, and I say this to, to healthcare professionals all the time. If you're not in a good place, don't make a big decision about your life. But, but you can still benefit from having a bit of freedom. Mm. doing things like a sabbatical or a sabbatical or a career break or you know just gives you that that little bit of an opportunity to see things from a different perspective a bit of a breather do something different for a while but you've still got that option to go back if you want to you don't have to but you can um so yeah i was very grateful to that that doctor she um she pretty much saved my life i think that day uh, yeah. it's amazing how these little pieces of advice or things people say to us can have such a huge impact isn't it yeah. just like one one sentence <laughs> yeah 
Well, for me, it was um, giving me permission, right, yeah. to do I didn't know I had permission to do. And, and I, I talk about permission a lot. In fact, I'm just writing my first book at the moment, which I'm really oh, excited amazing. about. Um, the first chapter is called Permission because it comes up all the time. Like, we don't, we look to those around us to sort of think, what, what is it okay to do? And in healthcare, you look around and everybody's kind of a bit stressed, a bit worn out, working longer hours, staying late, not having breaks, you know, maybe having their lunch, eating their sandwich in one hand and typing their emails with the other, you know, and we think that's all we have permission to do, right? We mm-hmm. don't have permission to go out for a walk at lunchtime or to leave on time or, um, or to take a break from our careers. And so I think it's really important we start to think about that. What do we need permission to do? You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, again, that's, that's something I've really focused on this year with, with myself is times of feeling stressed and then, you know, just giving myself permission to do those little bits of self-care. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all right to take 10 minutes out of your day to go for a walk or to meditate or whatever it is. You spend your, your pretty much most of your life devoting it to other people, to helping other people. Um, and we just kind of forget, don't we? Or like you said, we just yeah we just don't give ourselves permission um, yeah really... and we have to i mean to, i think you know you can't pour from an empty cup um you you have to in order to help other people i think we really have to look after ourselves and i was so so amazed and excited and pleased to see that they actually changed the um uh, what's it called the declaration of geneva the um hippocratic oath that all doctors say when we qualify they've actually changed it to include a statement about how important it is to look after your own well-being oh fantastic Um, yeah that was a few years ago now in fact campaigned by a fellow um uh australian amongst others called sam hazeldean and they um so now it's like it's right there it's stamped in our kind of you know our instruction manual if you like for being a good healthcare professional we must look after ourselves we must put our own oxygen mask on first before we help the person next to us yeah I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about individual contributions to the, this whole thing about like self-sacrifice versus like systemic and institutional things. Because I, so I know for myself, this is a big realization I've made is that, you know, this self-sacrificing for me, I think it, it's very much influenced by some experiences I had when I was younger, um, you know, being, sort of being put in a bit of a position where I you know, probably did need to sort of look after other people, that sort of thing. Um, but I also know that when we work within a hospital setting, for example, you know, it's kind of, it's quite systemic, isn't it? It's, it's, you are being pushed in a way through whatever it is to, to, to give that care to other people. And I'd be really interested to hear your experience of that. And I suppose from, a, um, from the field of medicine as well, like what's, what's the armor you know, that's created by sort of institutionally through medicine, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's always a mixture, isn't it, of individual and systemic factors, I think. Mm. And I think it actually starts before um, the hospital. I think it starts before when we're applying to medical school. Right. We're kind of right. dressing up our CVs to make us sound, you know, like we're not not exactly impenetrable, but that we can, you know, that we're, we're amazing and we can cope with this, you know, a challenge that you're going to put in front of us. And, and then at medical school, we're kind of also... Um, encouraged almost you know to learn how to put that armor on you know we're sort of and it and it just chink by chink by bit by bit it builds every year on year as you go through our training this kind of another layer of like protection builds up and and I think that's all it is actually armor is protection isn't it it's to keep us safe Um, you know it's not so that we can attack other people really it's to protect us from getting hurt and so I think we often feel quite vulnerable as healthcare professionals. I think we feel, well, as humans, right? We, we know we're all vulnerable and that can be a really scary feeling. So that idea of how am I going to cope when I see a dying child? You know, how am I going to cope when an angry relative is screaming at me? How am I going to cope when somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer, but I'm yeah, supposed, yeah. I think I'm supposed to know the answer, but I don't, you know, how am I going to cope? How am I going to cope? And that constant fear of what might happen. So we just put another layer of, of armor and another layer of armor and, and eventually we feel like, okay, I can go out there into the world. I can step onto the ward as a junior doctor and I can say, yes, I will look after your loved one and I will, you know, save your life and I'm, you know, I'll be okay. 
but actually we're just still that really vulnerable, scared person inside. Um, and I do think the system, yeah, absolutely, it rewards that armour. You know, it says, oh, yeah, look at that person over there. They're amazing. They can cope. They're resilient. You know, there's all this, this resilience um, phraseology being thrown around, isn't there, at the moment? Um, and actually, I think it's very quite victim-blaming. I think it kind of says, you know, oh, if you were a bit more resilient, if you were a bit tougher, if you could handle the stress, then it would be all right. When when actually we need to acknowledge that we're not, we're just humans and we actually have some limits. And, and actually, you know, I, somebody once showed a um, slide in a talk that I always remember that it was a picture of a concrete um, floor and there was a crack in it and there was this beautiful little flower growing up through the crack. And they said, they always think of that picture when they think of resilience because that flower is incredibly resilient, right? To be able to grow through this tiny little crack in this concrete. But you know what? Flowers aren't meant to grow in concrete. Yeah, They're meant yeah. to grow in like lovely soil with sunshine and rain and, you know, and, and a bit at the moment, I think as healthcare professionals, we're flowers trying to grow in concrete. You know, the system is absolutely horrendous, broken, too much. The expectations are too high. The resources are too low. And we are just desperately we're very resilient individuals so we're pushing through and we're trying to grow and we're trying to do our best um but we're not we're not really meant to exist in that kind of environment yeah 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 i've been thinking a lot more about the, the idea of resiliency recently and i had um I had on the podcast um professor of psychiatry ian hickey he, he's very well known over here and um he was talking i think he actually said I detest the concept of individual resiliency. And he was mm. talking about, you know, we, we exist in groups. Um, yeah. and we, we evolved in tribes and families and things. And um, it really stuck with me, actually, what he said, because I think, especially, you know, when we do one-to-one work with people as well, I think because there is this sort of idea, this narrative that people need to be resilient, you know, I sort of thought to myself, well, I want to be careful not to really reinforce that kind of problematic thing where we're not actually encouraging people to draw on the people that they work with or they, you know, their friends and family, their, their community, that sort of thing. Um, and when you yeah. were just talking then, it made me think as well about, yeah, this idea that it's, we, we're doing the same job. You know, if you're a doctor, you're working with other doctors, you know, I'm a psychologist and working with other psychologists and there's something really important about acknowledging together. Like we, we can support each other here. We, like you said, we're all human. Like we're doing the same thing. We, we're going through similar kinds of struggles. Like your anxiety may look a bit different to mine, but I'm still feeling that I'm still feeling lower mood at times. Um, and sort of harnessing that power of like a group and yeah. Yeah. Cause the worst thing you can do to a human being is exclude them from the group is to make them feel like if you think about those uh, kids playing in the playground and the the one that gets bullied you know the one that's oh you don't you don't belong you're different you're you know you're over there and and that's what medicine I think does and healthcare does it kind of goes oh you can't work full-time oh well you don't yeah you can't be a doctor or oh you've got this disability or you've got that problem or you've got this or no you can't you're a woman or you're a help you know you're old or your skin's a different color or you know all these different re- ways that we exclude people from being in the group and it's the most awful thing you can do to a human being and yeah. actually conversely the most wonderful powerful thing you can do is to help someone to feel part of the group and to feel like they're not alone and actually yeah you and i are the same people we have the same experience let's you know let's share that let's hold that together you know and i think that happened with covid in the beginning you know there was this real sense of we we're in this together you know, but as time has gone by, we've all got a little bit tired, mm-hmm. a little bit worn out. Our priorities sort of all shift and change a little bit. We start to kind of separate off again. And that's when we feel really, we start to feel disconnected. We start to feel worse again. And yeah. And and I do think medicine, you talked about the systemic and the individual the impacts. And I think medicine kind of teaches this myth of you should be able to cope with anything on your own. So, you know, if you come across a body lying there on the ground, you should be able to manage it, right? You should know what to do. You should be able to do the CPR and call for the help and, you know, lead the team of people to get this person alive again. And 
it encourages that sense that you as an individual need to be able to do everything on your own and it just isn't the case we just don't live like that we're like the professor scratching you mentioned you know we exist in groups we need to connect we need to yeah 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 absolutely i think um a big problem can be not asking for help kind of like where you you we all come across things that we just don't know the answers to. That's just normal, especially in such a complex area, like with healthcare. And I've certainly found myself for periods, um, having been qualified as a clinical psychologist, sort of feeling like I should know something and probably not reaching out um, and really having to work on that. You know, it's, again, it's about being, being vulnerable, isn't it? It's saying, look i actually i've got this these many years of experience and i've come across these things before but i actually just don't know um and and also i think for me as well um i suppose just working on that humility is sometimes actually junior colleagues who may have worked in a sort of specialty area may have that experience that you can draw on and you can ask them what do you think about this absolutely yeah yeah totally i think um age for me is one of those again it's another myth isn't it the more the older we are the wiser we are and you know some extent that's true we might get more experience but actually sometimes some of the wisest most you know incredible ideas have come from the youngest with the least experience and yeah I think vulnerability for me I think I'm not sure it really matters who it comes from I think it just needs to come from somebody that you um can hear it and see it from I think we need it to be role modeled I think we need to see you know oh okay that person over there said no to something maybe I can say no to something or that person over there has you know taken a week off sick because they were struggling a bit with the mental health maybe I could do that you know it just needs to be somebody I think that we can identify with and and feel like oh okay yeah if they can do it I can do it yeah Absolutely. I think role models, yeah, it's, it's so important. And again, that's, I think often we don't realise that we are modelling a lot of stuff to people around us. You know, if you don't reflect on it, you've probably got colleagues at work and your workplace who actually are looking to you. And if you don't, if, if you don't become a bit more intentional about how you're behaving, what you're doing, you're going yeah. to be modelling quite unhelpful things, aren't you? Totally. And I've fallen foul of this recently with my own organisation with Team Joy at The Joyful Doctor. I was, um, I'm quite a night owl. I quite like doing a little bit of emailing in the evenings. And, um, and I was sending out email, you know, at quite, quite a late hour, really, really not in working hours for, for most people. And I just sort of had to get really honest about that and think, hmm, what message is that sending, you know? Um, what am I modelling there? What am I saying to my team? What that you should be on your phone and your emails at you know all hours of the day or on your days off? And I had to be like, mm, maybe I should yeah get a bit more conscious about what I'm you know what behaviours I'm yeah modelling myself. Yeah, I, I, something else I found which is quite funny with this this year was um, I found myself like sometimes overthinking everything that you know almost like ah oh, like I can't. I can't make some sort of mistake because then it's not going to be the right sort of thing that I'm modeling. And then having to catch myself and just being like kind to myself, like, yes, okay. But it's not about being perfect. It's just it doing really, my yeah. best. Um, yeah. yeah and and I'm, I'm as well. Absolutely. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, totally. We, um, imperfect action. It conquers fear. Absolutely. Right? The more imperfect we can be, the better, I think. Because yeah. we all are, aren't we? I mean, we were when we were getting ready to record today. We were sharing with each other, weren't we? That you know, sometimes these podcasts and things they go out there and they all look so polished and they sound so great, or whatever. Or they're all you know, lovely high value um, production. But actually, um, you know, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of that, isn't there? There's a lot of microphones that don't work, or um, you know, internet connections unstable, or you know, we're all just in that world, I think. And that's been one of the lovely things of COVID, with everyone being online and sort of scrambling to do things differently, is we're all just kind of being a bit kinder to each other, I think, with that. That okay, it's all right that it takes a minute or two for us all to get, you know, the tech sorted or whatever. <laughs> yeah. For people listening, what happened was I had a different computer today and my microphone wasn't working as I <laughs> as I hoped it was. And it's yeah, I was saying, wasn't I? Like I've I've recorded maybe eight or nine of these conversations and there's been technical issues and the, you know it's not yeah. it's not all perfect. 
Um, <laughs> no, I've had quite a few interviews now because I don't edit my podcast. We, we have a Joyful Doctor podcast and um, and I don't edit them at all. And there's quite a few there where, you know, kids are interrupting in the middle. Or But I think that is so real. It's so, you know, it's life. And, and it's important that we allow ourselves to be that because we're not superhuman. And I, and I think it's important we allow ourselves to start to take off a little bit of that armour, actually. Yeah. You know, and just just be a little bit vulnerable. And, you know, I think doing it sensibly with people you can trust and, you know, gently, not kind of just ripping all your armour off and telling everybody everything every minute because um, yeah. that's, you know, pretty exposing and actually quite harmful. But just gently sort of going, actually, maybe some, next time someone says, how are you? Maybe you just pause for a second and actually tell them how you really are, you know, rather than just, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so something else that I'd like to ask you about was, so you've obviously started your own business, as have I, and I know that there's some difficult challenges that can arise with that in terms of confidence and, you know, stories that go through our mind about, oh, should I really be doing this? And um, is this going to succeed? And that sort of thing. I'd just be really curious to hear about, you know, your sort of personal journey with that, doing something that's quite against the grain and different um, and yeah, maybe how you've worked on like being courageous and confident, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, 100%, I still almost daily get those thoughts of, oh my goodness, should I really be doing this? Um, is this good enough? You know, all those kind of like imposter thoughts are still there for me. I don't, mm. and I don't think they'll ever really fully go, but how I respond to them is quite different now. I've kind of learned to understand that, you know, that that voice is there to try and keep me safe it's there it's trying to be friendly and nice and kind and but actually it's not that helpful so I just ask that little voice to sit in the corner you know just wittering away um and I just get on with my day and I find uh, the most powerful thing I find is to refocus on what it is I'm trying to do like what who is it I'm trying to help what's the meaning behind this so if I got onto this podcast today and I was like oh I'm I'm a bit too scared to be real and vulnerable and oh, so maybe I won't share as you know honestly maybe I'll just keep something back actually there's the person listening to this is not going to benefit from that right they are not gonna this isn't going to help that doctor that's sitting out there feeling like broken like they're the only one that they're you know and so if I think about that person if I think about the person I'm trying to help then all that kind of fear and stuff just disappears or at least it gets a lot quieter and I'm just like with that, you know, with that doctor sitting there on the couch, had their 10 hour, 13 hour day, glass of wine in hand, just scrolling through their phone mindlessly thinking, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. You know, if I think about that person, then I'm going to show up and I'm going to be super brave and courageous and say, no, actually, you know what, this is my truth. Um, this is, yeah, what I'm meant to be doing. And, and it's also for me that connection to the meaning of what I'm doing. Um, and I think, you know, I've always, I've always loved the things I've done in my life. I've loved medicine. I found it very meaningful, but it wasn't my path. It wasn't. And now what I'm on is my, my path. That's truly just what I feel I'm meant to be doing. And, and if I connect to that as well, that's really helps me that I just think, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, if I wander off and do something else or get distracted doing something else, I'm not really on my, you know, I'm not helping the people I'm here to help. So those are two things I suppose I keep in mind these days. Um, and I also just remember that voice is going to still come. You know, every single time I get on a podcast or write something or I'm just writing my book, as I said, and I'm, you know, I'm really nervous about that. I'm yeah. really super, super nervous. And I'm, you know, the emotions, oh my God, it's intense. Um, but I just remember that one day a doctor might be reading that and it might, help them in the way that all these people that we've talked about today have helped me, you know, and that, that's why I'm going to do it. So I'm going to be brave. I'm going to, yeah. Oh, but it doesn't stop it being scary. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? But I guess, I guess that's, that's the, you know, the cost of living that valued life, isn't it? Is, is to have these emotions and uh, yeah, I'm exactly the same. Every time I write a blog article and I share it, and I, and I, every podcast I have, you know, beforehand, you know, I feel my heart starting, heart rate increasing, start noticing yeah. thoughts of like, what's this person going to think of me? How's it going to go? Um, and again, you know, it's reconnecting with the purpose and 
why it's important to you. And like you said, it's, you want to help other people. This, this could help other people in some way. And um, also, it's, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you. Like, I, I find this really enjoyable. Um, oh, God, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, the, the Joyful Doctor actually is completely designed around what I love to do. Yeah. I literally sat down like, and just wrote down all the things I love to do with my time. And that's what the Joyful Doctor became. It became giving speeches about doctor's well-being. It became coaching individual doctors. It became doing well-being trainings. It became doing the podcasts and the writing. Because those are all things I love to do. Yeah. You know? And I follow that. And I think if you follow what you love, you, you won't take a wrong turn. You'll always end up doing something that you're passionate about and enjoy. You know, there'll be good days and bad days, but it's you will just fundamentally be doing something that you, you love and enjoy. That's I right. often talk about um, Brene Brown's work. I really love her work. I don't know if oh, you know. Same. Uh, love it. Oh. Yeah. And um, she, um, I'm just trying to think which one of her amazing points I was just going through in my head. Um, oh, the, the fact that, you know, being vulnerable and being real and being honest and living in the real world, it isn't easy. It really isn't. And if you're doing it, if you want to do it in a safe and easy way, you're not doing it, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually. Um, so if we were here today feeling a bit bored by this, po- you know, oh another, oh, another podcast recording. Oh, oh, how boring, you know, then I don't think, yeah, we'd be doing it. We wouldn't be um, authentically doing it anyway. We wouldn't be being vulnerable. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's got to hurt a little bit, I think, to, to be real. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Caroline, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Maybe, maybe we should save this for for a part two sometime. Um, um, I love that. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think just to finish with, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you, sort of social media, your website, all that sort of thing? Yeah, so we're um, joyfuldoctor.com um, and we're across all the main social media platforms as the Joyful Doctor, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, what's the other one? Uh, oh, Facebook. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, just any of those. If you type the Joyful Doctor into anywhere, you'll find us. <laughs> and please do get in touch. You know, it's uh, me and a lovely team of people. We're all very much um, just want to help. So, if we can help, if you are struggling, if you'd like signposting to support or just want to talk about something or just, yeah, just get in touch, please, anytime. Fantastic. Thanks. And I'll put links to your, your stuff in the show notes anyway, so people can thank see that there. Much. Yeah. Thank well, thank you very much for your time, Caroline. My pleasure. It's been lovely. And there we have it. Another episode, another day, another great conversation. I was so, so grateful for Caroline's time. I just really enjoyed that conversation. I'm just loving all these conversations, as you can probably tell. I would really advise you to go and check out Caroline's stuff at thejoyfuldoctor.com. And like I said at the beginning, feel free to check out my website and my free Facebook group. I'll be having more episodes later on this year with other doctors who've gone through struggles like Carolina and are willing to talk about those and open up. If you are a doctor or someone else in healthcare listening to this and you've got your own personal journey that you would be interested in um, talking to me about and sharing with other people, then please do get in touch. I'm always looking for guests for the podcast. You can send me an email at nathan at nathanillman.com and just let me know that you'd like to have a chat and just talk about coming on the podcast. Anyway, I hope your day is going really well and that you've got something lovely planned for later on. I will see you back here for episode nine of Beneath the Armour. Stay tuned.